Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here as we come together as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Please stand and join us as we worship our God together through song. Savior's blood died. 
worship you, to honor you, to bring glory to your name. And we pray that our worship would indeed please you and that it would help us as your children to know you more. Thank you for being present with us and we pray for your anointing on all that we do today and we ask it through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. is the carrier of culture. People around the world act and think according to what they have been taught and experienced. How effective could that education be for the kingdom of God if it were tied to the truth of scripture? African evangelical pastors and church leaders recognize that the only hope of successfully resolving the deep problems within Africa is with an education system that is grounded in scripture that has a biblical worldview, and that is specifically Africa. Sending books will not work. Sending teachers will not work. We must assist our African siblings to develop their own materials and then equip them to reach their culture. The goal of 10.3 is to assist in the discipleship of the people of Africa for generations to come. 10.3 response develops and equips so that Jesus Christ will be honored. 10.3 is not just giving people knowledge, but bringing about transformation. Of course, we've been having education, but we don't have transformation education. 10.3 is focused on responding to these expressed educational needs with plans and programs that are effective in Africa. We are developing these programs with curriculum written by educators from African cultures. And we are equipping our African brothers and sisters so that they may teach those who will in turn teach others. The Transformational Education Network. Petrillo, and I just want to thank this congregation for supporting our ministry with SIM for the last 27 years. It's evolved into the work of 10-3. Uh, my husband has just returned from Zambia, and he took their 22 computers to start a lab. Um, students will not only learn computer skills, but will also go through a chronological Bible study that will help them grasp what the uh, Bible is, uh, God's story for redemption for them and for the whole world. There are many other schools that are asking for this program, so we have an opportunity for you to participate. If you have an old laptop that you're no longer using but it still runs, we can put it to work in Africa. 30 students will go through the Bible in a year on your machine, and actually many more than that because uh, it's built into the program to replace the equipment once it's, once it's needed. 
and they can buy it locally. They'll have new equipment later. Um, there are brochures in the back um, that have the specs and contact information. And this week, the campus store is graciously accepting the donations, so you can just leave them right there on campus. And if you have a, a computer some other time, you can just contact us. So I just want to reiterate the point in the video that we send computers. We actually also send books, and we send teachers. But it's the power of God's word that does transform lives. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And I, I do want to encourage you, if you have a computer to donate, to do so, and it does get put to great use for people who don't have access the same way that we do. There are a number of other things that I want to highlight in the bulletin just real quickly. Um, there's a, a children's choir that's going to be performing in June, and if you have children to be a part of that, you see the rehearsal schedule there. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, and we do want to remember those. Uh, also, the rose on the pulpit here celebrates the birth of uh, Samuel Darwin Beardsley, and we celebrate with his family. Also, there is an insert in your bulletin about a well project, and I recognize that not all of you will be around May 19th. If you're going to be here, I'd love to have you be a part of this project. If you're not going to be here and you want to assist, you can donate funds for that as well. But we're attempting to complete this project that really was the, the brainchild of a couple of our teens who had a passion about water for people in Africa. There's also uh, information about our election coming up and a vision meeting. Uh, we don't have the booklet quite ready, but it will be in digital form Monday or Tuesday. And then we'll have print copies as well through the office or we'll have them available next Sunday. Uh, also, please note that the worship schedule changes next week. We do not have a 940 service. The service is at 830 and 11. So just note that. I know that will particularly affect many of you who are here today. So just, just note that schedule change for the next month and a half. This is a Sunday where we have uh, taken time each, each year to pray for college graduates. And so if you, you are graduating from college, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here in front. And that may mean some of you need to walk down from the balcony. But come on down and we want to gather around you and pray for you this morning as you prepare to head out into the next uh, stage of your life. So if you're graduating, come on down. Yeah, just come and stand out here. And I want to invite others of you who are here to come up, lay hands on them, gather around them uh, so we can pray together. So please come and then support them with uh, your presence and your prayers now. Father, we celebrate every one of these students standing here before us. We celebrate their lives and for what you have done in their lives and all that you desire to do in their lives. Thank you for every person who's influenced them, who has taught them, who has modeled Christ-like faith for them.
Thank you for families who've supported them, for friends that you've brought alongside them. And we pray, Father, that your anointing would be on each of them. We thank you for the ways in which they have enriched us as a church and for the ways in which we have been privileged to enrich their lives as the church. As they move into the next stage of their lives, fill them with your joy and your presence. If they're feeling anxiety about the future, give them peace. We pray that you will lead them in the way that you want them to go. Open up avenues for them to not only grow academically and professionally, but also spiritually. Wherever they go, we pray, Father, that your anointing will be upon them and that they will be a presence for you in this world. Thank you, Father, for your mercies upon each of their lives. We pray that you would teach them well how to use the gifts that you've given them. Fill them with love for others because they know in a deep way your love for them. Most of all, Father, help them to know that you do not change. As you have been faithful to them through the years of their education here, assure them that you will be faithful in the days and weeks and years that lie ahead. May your blessing be upon each of them. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have people joining the church this morning, um, some in each of the services, and we have a couple that are joining in this service. I'm going to ask you guys to come and stand here in the front. One of the great joys of the church is connecting ourselves officially as into the body of Christ. And they come to do that today. They have gone through a membership class. They've been approved by our elders. And they have acknowledged their, their affirmation of the core beliefs of who we are as a church. And the, things, the ways in which we are led as a church. They have committed themselves as followers of Christ and committed themselves to, to the, uh, the teachings of the church. And they stand before you today bearing witness of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, they have uh, affirmed their, fa- their, their uh, support of the scriptures, their belief in God as Father, their belief in Christ as the Savior, their belief in the Holy Spirit as the one who makes us pure and holy and who leads us in our lives. And they come today with the desire to be connected to this body of believers, and we rejoice in welcoming them. I'm asking uh, Dave Brubaker to come and introduce them to you and just a little bit, know a little bit about them as, uh, as they're joining today. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Junku and Ji Young Park. Uh, they have been part of our community for about a year now, not quite. Uh, they moved uh, to Houghton last summer. Uh, Junku is just finishing up his uh, first year as a math professor at Houghton College. 
Uh, Ji Young is uh, uh, enjoying being a stay-at-home mom for their 15-month-old son, Daniel. Um, we, we are grateful to have them as part of our community. Um, Junku enjoys to play the guitar and I think hopes to uh, use those skills in the in the worship team at some point, and uh, Ji Young um, uh, enjoys children, and uh, hopefully we'll be plugging into the to the nursery ministry. Um, we welcome you guys, and are so glad to be um, uh, together as part of the family of God. I want to ask those of you who are members of the church to stand and to affirm your support of them as they join today. We, the members of this church, receive you to our communion and fellowship as beloved brothers and sisters and promise to walk with you in love, to instruct, counsel, admonish, and cherish you, and to watch over you with all patience, gentleness, and love. O God of the church, we thank you for the blessing of Christian fellowship, for joining together in one body all those who believe In Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you for these who are joining this day, becoming a part of this local church, this branch of Christ's body. Grant to them the grace and strength that they will need to fulfill their vows. Bind all of our hearts together in your holy love, that we may help each other. Together we may share the gospel with the world for which Christ died, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You can be seated. We ask the ushers to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Oh, 
If you want to use the altar rail as a place where you come and pray, please join me. Otherwise, be seated. Father, you are the God who makes all things work for good. We've come today to worship you and to offer our prayers to you because you make all things work together for good.
We pray for those who are grieving and ask for your comforting presence because we believe you make all things work together for good. We pray for everyone who's struggling with illness and pain, with disease, with recovery, and ask for your healing in their lives because we believe you work all things together for good. We pray for everyone who is struggling with relationship that's not where it should be, who's, who's anxious about the future, who, who's wrestling with hurt from relationships gone awry and ask for your grace in our lives because we believe you work all things together for our good. We pray for this world in which we live and all of the turmoil and pain and violence and chaos so much that burdens our hearts. People who don't have the basic necessities of life. People who live in constant fear and ask for peace and ask for the necessities to be provided and ask for your church to be a presence among them because we believe you work all things together for our good. This morning in our worship, we lay every burden of our hearts before you, every concern, every anxiety, every fear, every struggle, every sin, We lay it all at your feet and ask for your mercy and grace with confidence because we know that you work all things together for our good. So through the ups and the downs of life, when things turn out the way we want and when they don't, when struggles seem to overwhelm us, when joys push us to the brink of excitement. We lay it all at your feet. We place it all in your hands because you are the God who works all things together for our good. We pray today through Christ who is our Lord and Savior and our returning King the one in whom we place our confidence and the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, there, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves with sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died... He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as, an, as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Please stand and sing with us. Rise up from the grave, Christ is risen from the 
celebration of Easter tends to be in our minds one day. When we think about Easter, we think of that one Sunday of the year when we celebrate the resurrection and, you know, we, we used to be women wore fancy hats and you dressed in pastel colors and we all had a great celebration. And for most people in the evangelical church, that's the end of it. That was Easter, we're done with it, and now we move on. But that's not the mindset of the ancient church. In the ancient church, Easter is not a day, it's a season. It starts on Easter Sunday, and it's 50 days. that culminates in the Sunday of Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks. And it's a season because it is so pivotal to what it means to be followers of Christ. It is such an important day that in the ancient church, in the season of Lent, you kneel to pray. During the season of Lent, if you were going to pray, you always knelt as a sign of of penitence before the crucified Christ and acknowledging the passion. The only exception to that during Lent is Sunday. On Sunday, you stand and you pray in celebration. Because every Sunday, even in Lent, is a mini Easter. Every single Sunday, you celebrate Easter. Because it's that important. It's that significant. And most of the evangelical church misses that. We're pretty good at, we've gotten pretty good actually at practicing Lent. At at following the season of Lent and and the Penance and, and all the things that we do with the passion and the cross. And, and we should. We don't, want to, we don't want to minimize that. We just don't carry that through into Easter. Like 
the ancient church does. And I've been wondering, I've been thinking to myself, why do we do that? And I think one of the reasons is because we're, we're a lot better at, at offering penance and asking forgiveness than we are celebrating. There's something about penance and forgiveness that is about us. And we can control it and we can, we can keep it in the box that we've created. But celebrations can easily get out of hand. Things can get a little crazy when people start celebrating. And that makes us uncomfortable and nervous. And so we decide, let's just keep the lid on it. I read recently an author who said, Christians ought to be, of all the people in the world, folks who celebrate more than anyone else. We, we should have parties, galas, celebrations, more than anyone else in the world, because who has more to celebrate than the people who follow the one who conquered death? The resurrection changes everything, and we ought to be filled with joy, even as we acknowledge the cross and the incarnation and all the other elements of what it means to be a follower of Christ. At the center of it is celebration. When I talk with the classes for baptism, often it's uh, middle-aged, grade school children. And I ask them, tell me, what, what ways do we use water? And I always get, we drink it, uh, take a bath in water. And, and I talk to them about how those are powerful symbols of what happens in baptism. In baptism, we remember that Christ is the living water who nourishes us and gives us life. And we're reminding everyone of that in baptism. And in baptism, we are symbolizing the cleansing of God's spirit over all of our sin and, and, and forgiving us of that. And invariably, there's always one child who sort of sheepishly says, um, I like to go swimming with water. And they, they, you get the sense that they're thinking, it's one of my answers, but it's probably not what you're looking for because it doesn't sound very spiritual. And I always jump on that answer and say to them, that is exactly what I wanted to hear. Because we often talk about life and we often nourishment and we often talk about cleansing. We ought to be talking about water as a symbol of celebration too. And, and the joy that comes from swimming and running through a sprinkler and having a water balloon fight. Because it's joy. And the Christian faith's about joy. And who ought to be more joyous than followers of Christ who was dead and is now alive. And we often miss that. And I think Paul is, is trying to help us understand that from the backside in this passage from Romans chapter 6. When he says, you are free from being slaves to sin. You have been set free from the slavery of sin and you live in life through Christ. You know, slavery, that's something that the people of Rome would certainly understand. Slaves were a big part of that culture. And if you were a slave, you certainly grasped the, the pain and the agony of being a slave. But if you were a slave owner, one of the great, you know, one of your great uh, 
thoughts of life was that to never allow yourself to be in a position to be a slave. Unfortunately, there are far too many places of the world today where slavery is still practiced. And people know the shame and the dehumanizing effect of slavery. The despair, the hopelessness, the vulnerability, the helplessness of being a slave. And Paul says, that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. As followers of the resurrected Christ, we live in life, not in slavery. Now, the moment we read this passage and others like it, for instance, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we talk about being free from slavery to sin. One of the first questions that people often ask is, well, does he mean that you don't sin anymore? Sinlessness. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he's saying, in Christ, you will never sin again. I think he's saying, you, you don't have to sin. Because Christ can fill you with new life and set you free from the chains of sin. You know, so often we settle for mediocrity. We settle as followers of Christ for, well, that's good enough. That's the best I can do. And that's the point. It's the best I can do. It's not about us. It's about Christ. He has so much more for us than mediocrity. He didn't create us, and he certainly didn't go to the cross and rise from the dead just so we could live in mediocrity. Christ went to the cross and rose from the dead so we could live victoriously. And Paul says, you don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. That doesn't mean we're going to, that we, his expectation is that we are perfect. All you have to do is look through scripture and you see some of God's best people are not perfect. All of God's best people are not perfect. Noah, has, you know, says he walked with God, has this great experience of faith with the ark and the flood and all of that. And yet when you get to the end of his story, he's lying in drunkenness and it's a whole scene and it's not good. And you move ahead to Abraham who is called the friend of God. And he's a man of great faith. And yet at least two times, scripture tells us, he sacrifices his wife, Sarah, to protect himself. And Moses, great leader of Israel, brings the Israelites out of Egypt, goes up on the mountain and actually has this encounter with God for 40 days that so much that he glows, gets wrapped up in himself and in his pride and, and begins acting in ways that God isn't pleased about and he isn't able to enter the promised land. David, great king of Israel, described as a man after God's own heart, covets his neighbor's wife, commits adultery with her, and ends up conspiring to murder her husband to cover it all up. Not perfect. You move to the New Testament, you see Peter, who has this vision from God about how the Gentiles don't need to become Jews before they can become Christians. They don't need to put the laws of of Judaism on them. And Peter starts preaching that until some of the Jews start hanging around and he gets nervous about them rejecting him and he goes back to the old way and he is taken to task for that. 
Even Paul himself becomes so stubborn about the relationship with, about a decision related to John Mark, who's traveled with he and his, and his best friend Barnabas. He becomes so stubborn about it that he and Barnabas go to their separate ways and their friendship is fractured because Paul won't forgive. You move into more contemporary culture. John Calvin, awesome teacher, theologian, pastor, great leader of the church, gives his assent to the persecution and even the martyrdom of his enemies. John Wesley, who is the father of our theological perspective and who we trace our theological roots to, wrote scathing, unchristlike pamphlets about those who opposed his theological perspective. And Billy Graham, godly man, great leader of the church, said that back when Richard Nixon was president, he became so enamored with all that is the Oval Office that he became blind to things that were going on there and ignored them and let things go and deeply regrets it. It's all of us. There there are no perfect people. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about being set free from the sins that enslave us. And living in the joy and the victory of Christ. Paul says you don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Christ has set us free. But you know what I find? I find that sometimes freedom is harder for us than slavery. When you start living your life a certain way... And you've lived your life that way for a long time. It gets comfortable, even if it's not good. And we're often more interested in comfort than we are freedom. Every so often you read a story about you know, someone who's been in prison for a number of years and, and uh, maybe you know, 20, 25 years and they get out of prison and, and they don't know what to do with themselves. The world has changed and and life is so different from what it was in prison. And and they feel so insecure and unsettled. And every so often you hear about someone who commits some petty crime and makes sure that they get caught so they're sent back to prison where they feel more secure about life. And we scratch our heads and say, who would do that? And then we have to look at ourselves and the way that we respond to our struggles with sin. And the times when we are more content to live in the security of mediocrity than taking the risk of living in freedom. It's like the difference between a lion in the zoo and a lion in the wild. You know, a lion in the zoo, everything's taken care of, they're protected, they have food every day, you know, they have no worries. Life is easy and comfortable. Whereas the lion in the wild has to scrounge for their food. They may be hunted down. There are predators. There's risk in the jungle. And you think, well, you might as well go to the zoo because it's safer. But lions weren't created to live in zoos. Lions were created to roam free, even though it involves risk. And you and I were created to live in freedom, even though it involves risk and sometimes feelings of insecurity and maybe that life is out of control. But that's all about trusting God. Would we rather live in freedom that will involve risk 
than in chains that might feel like security. You know, it goes back to the, you know, the famous line from C.S. Lewis who said that you know, the, the problem isn't that, that we we're too strongly connected to the promises of Jesus in the Gospels is that we're too weakly connected to them. Like a child who continues to make mud pies in a slum when they have been offered the opportunity of a holiday at the seashore. We're just content to make our mud pies. But all the while, God has so much more in store for us. What does it look like then to, to live in that freedom? Here's the hard part. It's freedom to surrender. It's freedom to be selfless. It's freedom to be humble. It's freedom to to let other people have their way when we want ours. It's freedom to forgive when we want to hold on. It's freedom to love when, quite frankly, sometimes we would rather hate. It's freedom to let go when we really want to hold on. It is the freedom of Christ Christ is risen from the grave only because he first dies. And you and I will know freedom only as we die to ourselves, only as we surrender ourselves and give up the need for power and control and and getting what we want and self-centeredness and all of those things that come so naturally to us in our human nature. What feels like success is often the chains of enslavement. And what feels like risk and struggle, that's freedom in Christ. But understand, the answer to our enslavement is not in us, it's in Christ. We don't, we don't get rid of our chains because we work harder or we gain some extra power to break them. It's not because we have obeyed rules better than we used to obey them. It's because we have surrendered to Christ. Christ alone can break the chains. He's simply asking us to let him break them. He's simply asking us to surrender our desire to hang on to them. Because he wants to set us free. Up till about the age of, till the age of 18, I, all of my life basically revolved around the church. You know, everything, my dad was a pastor and everything that I thought, most everything I did, pretty much all of life revolved around the church. It seemed to me like I was at the church more than I was anywhere else in my life, even at home. I'm sure that wasn't true, but it felt that way. And, and it was good. I mean, it, you know, it was a great upbringing, and I'm very grateful for it. When I went away to college, I did what a lot of church kids do, and that's sort of back away from all of that. 
I remember thinking to myself, it's not that I, I don't want to be a Christian. I just don't want to be that much of a Christian. But in backing away from God's people, I inadvertently backed away from Christ. And my heart began to get cold and numb. And the chains of sin kept getting tighter. That first semester of my freshman year, I was in a a musical version of Pilgrim's Progress. That allegory of John Bunyan's about the journey of this character Pilgrim uh, through all of the various struggles and burdens of life. It was a jazz musical written by a guy named Ted Nichols, who at the time was musical director for Hanna-Barbera Cartoons. Uh, He came to a couple of our rehearsals, helped us with it. The guy had instant celebrity status. I mean, he knew Fred Flintstone, so what do you expect, right? I mean, this guy was awesome. And, and, you know, and and he wrote this musical, and, and I was given the lead part in this musical. And during the whole time, I wore this heavy backpack, symbolizing the burden that Bunyan writes about, that Pilgrim carries through his journey of life. And the burden kept getting heavier and heavier as he walked through these various parts of the struggles of temptations and sin and, and wrestling with all of that. And I can distinctly remember the very last scene. I'm standing in the middle of the stage and there are people surrounding me who represent all of those struggles and sins and, and burdens that have been weighted on me through the journey of this, of this progress. And all the people were around me and they were spinning me in a circle and the music was blaring and lights were flashing. It's just chaos of noise and, and imagery. And it kept going and going and going and all of a sudden it just stopped. And I fell to the floor flat on my face. The lights went out and there was silence. And everyone around me disappeared. It was just me on the stage floor in silence. I got up on my knees and realized that that backpack was gone. And the last scene, the last words of that musical were from Pilgrim's wife off stage calling out not pilgrim but christian christian time for supper christian and in that moment i don't know what everybody else was thinking but in that moment i had an encounter with god right in the middle of that stage it was as though that story was me And all the things that I had allowed to chain me were released. And it's as though that burden was lifted off of me. And that moment, my life changed. And I walked off that stage a different person. And from that moment, I have still dealt with chains just like you do. And I will continue to deal with chains just like you do. 
And God is continually calling me as he's calling you to surrender those to him. And to let Christ release us from the burden and the weight and the enslavement of our chains. Just this week I finished reading Brendan Manning's little devotional books, Souvenirs of Solitude. At the end of each devotional each day, he includes a poem written by one of his friends, Sue Garmon. One of those poems in particular really jumped out at me. And I've asked Jim Zoller if he would come and read this poem to us as we contemplate the chains and the freedom that God is offering us. Lord, I think maybe you're getting me accustomed to the idea that I am not an archangel. Of course, you know I'm not, and I know I'm not. But I must admit that periodically I try to behave as though I were. And most of my problems seem to stem directly from that fact. I'd like to think I'm perfect, with no limitations, impure motives, human weaknesses, everything under control and all together. And every time I catch myself thinking and behaving that way, life becomes not just burdensome, but horrendous. Lord, thank you for letting me know that I'm not perfect yet, but that you'll get me there if I let you. Thank you for reminding me that I'll never have it all together until we meet face to face. Lord, do archangels need you as much as I do? Father, thank you for setting me free, free to be poor, little, weak. Thank you for setting me free, free to be misunderstood, rejected, forgotten. Thank you for setting me free, free to be unsatisfied, empty, stripped. Thank you for setting me free, free to go free to break through, let go, enter the flame. Father, thank you for setting me free by binding me more closely to yourself. Father, you know the chains that enslave us, the sins that have hold of us. We hear your desire to set us free. We release all of these to you.
And we thank you for setting us free through Christ. Amen. My soul arise, shake off thy guilty fears, the bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hand. As we sing, the ever names above for me to intercede is all redeeming love, his precious blood to plead, his blood atoned for all our race, his blood atoned for all our race, and sprinkles now. sometimes it's helpful in the process of being set free to acknowledge what God has done. So I want to encourage you and invite you this week to, if you have, if you have sensed God releasing you or you've surrendered something to Him, to send me a note. You can email me, drop me a note uh, through the regular mail, uh, just as an encouragement to you, and I will pray for you and ask God to continue to help us live in His freedom. 
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Those of you who are members, come and greet the new members here this morning before you go.